This message is brought to you by Cedar Springs Church. For more information, please visit cedarspringschurchnm.org. Apparently, apparently missed something earlier. We hope you like the gift, Pastor Grant. I think this is the hooligans. For those of you that know, I, I love pumpkins <laughs> and, and pumpkin-flavored food. Very funny. I'll let these get good and squishy, and then I'll throw them at your house. My wife says that's gracious. I'm going to take her word for it. Thank you very much for thinking of me even though it was the wrong kind of thought. <laughs> you guys are great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just sang, I pray that you would uh, open up your word to us, that you would break the hard and stony ground of our hearts, and that you would sink your truth deep into our lives, and ultimately, Lord, that you would show us Christ. Father, I pray that you would teach us and guide us and illuminate for us the work that you have, have done through your Son. I pray, Lord, that you would send your Spirit to speak to our hearts about the grace and the mercy and the power that you have revealed to us through your Son. Father, all of these things, I pray you would do this morning through your Word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. We're going to finish up uh, the first chapter of the Gospel of John, if you want to start heading there in your Bibles, where this morning we're going to see the John's account of the first disciples who started following Jesus. Which made me wonder about y'all, if, if you remember what first drew you to following Christ. Like what was it about Jesus that, that first drew you to Him? Was it His grace? Was it mercy? Maybe it was fear of judgment? What was it that, that first drew you to Christ? Maybe you're like me where you grew up in the church and... Jesus was always a part of your life, and you're not exactly sure what it was that, that first drew you to Him. Or maybe you can't even answer that question this morning because you're not there yet. You, you have not been drawn to Christ, which is even better because as we wrap up this prologue, John wants to leave us with something. He wants to leave us with something that will keep us reading. He wants to, to pull, he wants to draw us forward in his gospel with, with something that, that keeps kind of gnawing at us. Something that, that makes us want to figure it out. See, brothers and sisters, what John wants to leave with us this morning is this. There's just something about Jesus. 
There is just something about Jesus. And the way he's going to show us this is through two different groups of men on two different days. If you look at the beginning of verse 35, you'll notice John says the next day. And then he tells us about the first group who were guys that were seeking Jesus. They, they went after him. But then in, in verse 43, you'll notice he says again the next day. This is where he's going to tell us about a second group. But these were guys who were not seeking Jesus. But the point of both the groups is the same. There's just something about Jesus. I want that to sink into your hearts this morning. There is just something about Jesus. Let's look at the first group, beginning in verse 35, if you would. It says, The next day John was standing, that's John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two heard, who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Now, go back up to the beginning and, and look, what, what was it that John the Baptist said that, that initially sent these first two disciples after Jesus? You see, at the end of verse 36, it says that John pointed to out, said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And then verse 37 says they heard him say that and followed Jesus. In, in other words, these two disciples, they'd been listening to what John the Baptist had been preaching. For some number of months, John the Baptist has been preaching that, that his sole purpose in life was to make way, was to, was to prepare the way for the one whom God was sending to save the world. So imagine these two dudes, when John the Baptist finally says, that's the guy, that's the guy I've been talking about, that's, that's the person who's come to save the world. Now, did they know what the lamb really meant? No, not really. They didn't figure that out till later. In fact, there, there's tons of extra-biblical writing around this time where uh, Hebrew thought was, was a lot of talk about the Lamb, but not as we know it. At that time, the Lamb was someone who was going to come and conquer and, and put Israel back into their place. But even though they didn't quite get it, they went after Him because they knew Jesus was there to rescue in some way, shape, or form. But look closer at what happens when they finally catch up to Jesus. I think this is great. It's like a dog that doesn't quite know what to do with the car when they catch it. Jesus stops and turns around. He's like, what are you seeking? These guys, uh, where are you staying? I, I can't help but wonder if Jesus didn't grin a little bit like, okay, I'll play along. Come on, you'll see. Because think about it. These dudes have been living with John the Baptist for who knows how long, and we wouldn't call this a luxurious experience. So I wonder if these guys go after Jesus, like, sweet, 
No more bugs for dinner. We're going to be kicking it with the Messiah. Like four seasons, Jerusalem style. But Jesus takes him to where he's staying and he's like, here it is, guys. This side of the tent is the master bedroom. This side of the tent is the kitchen. That tree over there is the master bath. And they're, they're, they're just their minds, I can't help but wonder if they're like, oh, it's, it's really nice. They thought they were going to get an upgrade. How about you? You ever been disappointed with who Jesus is? Like he told you he was going to provide for you. But for some reason, beans and rice keep ending up in your shopping cart. Or, or maybe it's a mobile home to live in, or a clunker to drive, or ridicule at work or at school. Or what about when Jesus says he's the good shepherd who's going to lead you to green pastures, and you get to this green pasture, and like, this is great. I could live here. And Jesus is like, time to move. You ever feel disappointed when following Jesus doesn't mean an upgrade? Because look again at what happened in verse 40. One of the two that heard John speak and follow was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, he, he first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We found the Messiah. So the question I have is, what happened? All we know is that they stayed with Jesus for a few hours, and then all of a sudden, Andrew can't wait to tell his brother, We found the Messiah. What happened? What could possibly have happened in a few short hours that would lead Andrew to that conclusion? Well, the short answer is we don't know. I can tell you what I know. What I know is there's just something about Jesus. That's what I know. There's just something about Jesus where just a few short hours with him and Andrew can't wait to tell his brother we found him. We found the, the Messiah that God's been promising for 2,000 years. But, but there's more. Look again at what happens when Peter shows up in verse 42. It says he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas. Now, it's easy for us to read that and not be amazed, but think about it. Andrew's like, hey, Jesus, this is my brother, Simon. And? There's no, hey, Simon, how are you? Good, glad to meet you. No, Jesus is just like, you're Peter now. Okay. But, but here's the thing. Simon's like, okay. I mean, I guess my mother and father who fed me and raised me and you know, taught me right from wrong, thought I should be named Simon, but okay, Peter it is. Now, how can he be okay with that? I mean, on the one hand, what we know about Peter, he probably thought this was kind of cool to be called the rock. <laughs> right? He's probably like, looks at his brother and he's like, you heard what he said, Andrew. <laughs> the rock. That's what you call me now. Did, can you smell what the rock is cooking? But did, he, did, did Peter know what that meant? No. He didn't have a clue. He had no idea that he was going to have to be like a limp noodle 
before he could be the rock. But here's the thing. There's just something about Jesus that gives him the authority to give you a new name whether you ask for it or not. But listen, it wasn't just a name. No, he, he gave Peter the name of who he would become, not who he was at the time. In other words, not only is there something about Jesus that gave him the authority to give Peter a new name, but the name he gave him was better than the name he had. Meaning there's something about Jesus where he knows what name you should have because he knows who you're going to be. I was talking with Shannon about this last night a little bit, and I, I was wondering if when we get to heaven, if God's going to give us a new name. Something that just perfectly sums up who we are, one little word in some perfect heavenly language that is unique. And so I thought, what name would Jesus give you? What, what name would Jesus give you? Because here's the thing, not only would it be better than the name you already have, but, but here's the thing, it would perfectly describe who you are in Him. I wonder if you need to hear that this morning. The name of who Jesus knows you're going to be. I wonder if you need to hear that the name Jesus would give you would not be huge loser, worthless, useless, never enough, unliked, Failure, that's not the name Jesus would give you. No, your name would be valuable, needed, important, useful, loved, and it would even be unique to how He's gifted you. Like your name would be teacher or discerning or loving or generous or helpful or the giver or the praying one or something like that. It would perfectly describe the perfect way that He has individually gifted each and every one of us. The point is, is if, if you are in Christ, just like Peter, you have a new name, and it's better than the one you have now. Because listen, there's just something about Jesus that He knows what name you should have. Because He knows who you are in Him. But back to John. Let's be honest, even though we don't know exactly what these guys saw, why it led them to follow Jesus and, and act this way, I mean, maybe they're okay with it because after all, they kind of volunteered. Which is why I think John says in verse 43, the next day, and then he's going to tell us about a second group of guys who weren't looking for Jesus. Look at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. 
And Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Back up in verse 43 real quick. Because I want you to notice that there is just something about Jesus that gives him the unilateral authority to command allegiance. Something about Jesus gives him the, the unilateral authority to command allegiance. He found some dude named Philip, commanded Philip to follow him, and Philip said, okay. And don't misunderstand, don't misunderstand. Jesus knew who Philip was. Jesus knew why he chose him. Jesus knew what he had planned for Philip, but Philip didn't. He had no idea. But, but there's something about Jesus that when he calls you to follow him, you do. But, but again, look at verse 44 and 45, because it happened again to Philip, just like it did to Andrew. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom, the Mo of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So again, the question I have, what happened? What happened? That night, Philip stayed with Jesus because all of a sudden in the next verse, Philip can't wait to tell his friend Nathaniel, we found him. We found the one who Moses and the prophets are talking about. What could have possibly happened in a few hours that would lead Philip to chase down Nathaniel and tell him that he'd found the one that the Old Testament had promised for millennia? Well, saints, again, the short answer is we don't know. We don't. I can tell you what I know. There's just something about Jesus. There's just something about Jesus that changes hearts and minds in the blink of an eye. There's something about Jesus that sends people after other people to tell them who they found. There's something about Jesus that sets people's lives ablaze with hope and peace and joy. And whatever that is, whatever that something is, Someone needs to get a fire extinguisher because Philip's on fire right now. Quick question. When was the last time you were on fire for Jesus? I mean, when was the last time you had a burning desire to find someone and tell them about the one who found you? When was the last time you, you wanted to chase someone down to tell them that there's something about Jesus. Because listen, if you're anything like me, the answer to that question sounds something like this. There are many times where Jesus reveals himself to me in his word and, and, or through prayer or even through the, a friend of mine and, and whatever that is, it, it sets my heart on fire. The problem is, is it's like there's a fire door between my heart and my mouth. Just something there that blocks that 
that fire. You ever feel like that? Like something's holding back the, the fire in your heart from getting out of your mouth? Whatever that is, Philip doesn't have it. He can't wait to tell Nathaniel. But Nathaniel's answer in verse 46, can anything good come out of Nazareth? That's not what you'd expect to hear in the Bible, is it? I mean, this is the Bible. This is where they tell us how cool they think Jesus is, right? But no. And to understand verse 46, to understand what Nathaniel says, you have to understand that the two halves of what Philip said to him don't match in verse 45. It would be like someone from here saying, I found the Son of God. I found the King of Heaven. I found the Lord Almighty. Jesus from Española, son of Jose. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with being Jesus from, 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 from Española. The thing is, that's just not what we think of when we think of the, the Lord God Almighty incarnate. But again, this perfectly illustrates that Jesus isn't calling people who want to follow him. No, he's, he's calling cynics too. But there's something about Jesus that even cynics want to follow him. In fact, John gives us a little taste of, of what that something is with Nathaniel. Look, at, look again at what changed Nathaniel's mind in verse 47. Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit, now, what Jesus is doing here is really interesting. When he says an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, he's actually comparing Nathanael to Jacob in the Old Testament. If you remember, Jacob's name meant supplanter or heel grabber because when he was born, he was trying to get out first and he grabbed Esau's heel so he could get out first. And then he spent the rest of his life manipulating and deceiving his way uh, to whatever he wanted until... One day, he and God had a little wrestling match uh, where Jacob finally said uncle, both figuratively and literally. But it was at that moment when, when Jacob finally conceded power to, to God that God gave him a new name. God changed his name and said, you are no longer Jacob. He says, you are now Israel. So back in John chapter 1, when, when Jesus says, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile, what, what they would have heard Jesus say was something like, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no Jacob. Now tuck that away because it's going to come back in a minute. Because it, it's not just Nathaniel's heart that Jesus knew. But in verse 48, he, he, Jesus also tells him he knew where Nathanael was before they met. Meaning Jesus doesn't just know the inside of Nathanael, he knows the outside too. He knew what Nathanael was thinking and, and where he was. He knew who Nathanael was and what he was doing. Meaning Jesus knows who he calls inside and out. And it isn't always those who want to follow him. And I want you to listen because I want to make sure you understand what this means. Do you ever feel like God is disappointed in you? Like, like you're Nathaniel and Jesus should say when he meets you, really? 
that's what you thought about me? Zap. Now what do you think? Turn him into a frog or something. Well, what John is telling us this morning is, is that, that thinking that way about God isn't true. Jesus knew who you were before he bought you. He had the full Carfax report on all of your weaknesses, all of your mistakes, everything that you've done wrong before he went to the cross for you. He knew exactly how much work you needed. But listen, even though he knew that about you, the Bible tells us that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. He didn't go to the cross like, ah, these stupid sinners, i got to do this. No. In other words, you can't disappoint someone who already knows more about you than you do and already paid the price for the sins he knew you were going to commit. Friends, listen, I hope you're beginning to realize there's just something about Jesus. There's something about Jesus that just when you start to think like Nathaniel, just when, just when we start to think we know who he is, he proves he ain't going to ask our opinion for who he should be. Because, because look at what Jesus tells them can come from Nazareth. In, in verse 50, Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Nathaniel, that ain't nothing. Verse 51, he said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, so here's what Jesus is telling Nathaniel and the rest of the disciples, that you there in verse 51 is plural. But, but he's telling them, I know you've seen and heard things in these past couple of days that have caused you to want to go and tell your brothers and friends about me. But listen, Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. He's basically saying something like, like remember on that lonely night in Genesis 28 where, where, where Jacob had a vision of angels ascending and descending on this ladder coming out of heaven with God at the top? He said, remember that? Remember how it was God passing you know, the, 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 the covenant down or the promise that he had made to, to Abraham? Passing it on to Jacob and saying, I'm going to save the world through you just like I promised your grandfather? Jesus is saying, listen guys, where Jacob only got a promise that that was going to happen, you're going to see it fulfilled. You're going to see it actually take place. You're going to see God open heaven up to mankind when He makes a way to restore people to Himself through the Son of Man. He's saying to them, you're going to, you're going to get to witness the King of Israel conquer His enemy that has wrought havoc on His creation for so long. He says, you guys are actually going to watch the Creator of heaven and earth redeem His people through the work that He accomplishes through the Lamb. Now, do these guys have any idea what all that means? Uh, sort of, but not really. But look, that's the point. This story is supposed to leave us hanging. John wants us to wonder what it is about Jesus that captivated these disciples. What brought them to call, them, call Him the Messiah like that? What propelled them to, to tell others about Him? He's saying, keep reading. I'll tell you. So this morning, he, he simply says, there's just something about Jesus. 
There's something about Jesus here in this, this passage. So can I ask you one more simple question I think John wants us to ask ourselves? And that is, do you want to know what that something is? Do you want to know what it is these men saw in Jesus? Because think about what happened to them. Something about Jesus was enough. Something about Jesus was amazing enough, impressive enough. Something about Jesus was magnificent enough that these men dropped everything to follow Him. Something about Jesus was enough for them to leave their lives and their businesses and their friends, even sometimes their families, to follow Him. Would you, would you like to know what that something is? What could change a life like that? Because like I said, John wants us to start anticipating something. He wants us to start looking for something, to start expecting something. John wants us to start expecting that whoever we think Jesus is, He's more. Because not only is that what these guys are figuring out, but it's still true today. Whoever you think Jesus is, He's always more. Like as much as they thought He was the Lamb, He was more. As much as they thought He was their Savior, He was more. As much as they thought He was the Messiah, He was more. And brothers and sisters, that ain't changed. There's still something about Jesus, and that something is He's always more than we expect Him to be. As powerful as you think Jesus is, He's more. Yet as gentle as you think He is, He's more. As vengeful as you think Jesus is, He's more. Yet as gracious as you think He is, He's more. As just as you think He is, He's more. Yet as merciful as you can imagine He could be, He's always more. As glorious, as holy, as perfect as you can think He is, He's always more. Yet as meek as you think He is, He's always more. Which means, listen, brothers and sisters, as much as you think He gave you a new name, He gave you more. As much as you think He knows you inside and out, He knows you more. As much as you think He's commanded you to follow Him, He's commanded you more. Let me tell you, there's something about Jesus. There is something about Jesus that frees captives and, and captivates the free. There's something about Jesus that commands allegiance and causes devotion. There's something about Jesus that empowers the passive and empathizes with the powerless. There's something about Jesus that fuels the fearful and fans their flames. Because listen, there's something about Jesus that, that reaches the lost and reshapes lives. There's something about Jesus that changes men and transforms minds. There's something about Jesus that softens calloused hearts and strengthens weak knees. Because there's something about Jesus that cleanses dirty consciences and satisfies dry souls. And brothers and sisters, that's something about Jesus. That's something that these men saw. Is He is the one who finds the lost and fixes the broken. 
because He is the Lamb of God and the lover of sinners. He is the Messiah and the one of whom Moses wrote. That's something about Jesus is He is the Son of Man and the King of Israel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You this morning for Your Word. I praise You for the grace that You have shown us, that You have revealed to us in the midst of our failures, that You knew we couldn't do this on our own. But more so, Father, I I, I thank You for the gift that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that You would give us a a desire and an urge, a yearning to, to get to know Him more to know what it was about Him that that changed these disciples' lives like this. I pray, Lord, that You would do that, that You would give us a hunger in our hearts to know Christ, to know that as much as we do know now, it's less than the tip of the iceberg. Father, grow in us a hunger for our lives to be changed as we get to know our Savior better. Father, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.